Hello. I have just heard for the very first time about a show called Greatest Generation and that it's the 500th episode. How have I gone through so many years of my life and not heard of you? But I have now. And uh, I hope you will welcome me to your club. Sounds great. Watch your badge on Luke. I'm Captain 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 Welcome to the 500th episode of The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be still doing this Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Did you ever think we'd make it to 500? Did you ever think we'd make it past next generation? Or even past uh, two weeks? Yeah, I didn't have anything in my head when we started this. I, I mean, we've talked, you know, over the years about how we always thought that this was the the training wheels, the, uh, we'll, we'll start with something that nobody will care about just to you know, get a sense of working together. And if, uh, if, if it's fruitful, we'll do something for real. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't work out. Yeah. So we're stuck with this. <laughs> I think it's great. I think this is going to be a different Marin than maybe any of the others, because uh, I think we're going to take a moment to kind of observe the significance of this. 500 is a lot. Yeah. I have been thinking a lot about what a milestone this is, what a, what a milestone it is for our show and for you and me and for the friends of DeSoto. Like there's so many different ways to look at that. I was also just thinking like so little has changed about my relationship with the show. Like I, I love the show. I look forward to doing it. It reliably cheers me up, you know, whatever you and I are going through or, uh, you know, individually or together or, or whatever, like, Doing the show together always makes me feel better. It's true. Like therapy. Yeah, for me too. But also, you know, I've got a, you know, since Daron was born, I've uh, made a bunch of new dad friends and I have a, I have a dad chat that's always going. Wow. And this is a very supportive, sweet group of guys who are all, you know, just, it's a, it's a support system. It's like, Hey, are you going through this? Yep. Me too. Here's something that worked for me. Hey, let's go out and get a meal together and, and hang out. Aren't wives wild. So it's like a me too group for dads. Mm -hmm. But, uh, (laughs) I think it was when we were in Texas, there was a big old marquee on the front of the stage that we played in Austin this year with the name of our show on it. And I was just like, man, like it tickles me pink every time I see that. And I took a picture of it and I like, I was like, you know, I bet the dads would think this is really cool. And then I was like, I can't send this to them. (laughs) As big as we've gotten, I mean, in whatever definition of success you might ascribe to it, still we remain too embarrassed to share much of this with other people. (laughs) but also the relationships that have come out of this show like i mean we've had at least three proposals that i can think of i think we've had more than three proposals Mm -hmm. like 
a couple at live shows, a couple in priority one messages. You know, people have had their lives substantially changed by the existence of this show in a way that I don't think either of us could have predicted. And uh, hopefully, generally speaking, that, that that's been a positive impact overall. I don't think we're like leaving a wake of destruction behind us. No, and I think that intent means a lot. Like, I think there's a purity to the idea that we never set out to become big and popular and important to people. And that has kept us focused on, like, the most important thing to us is just, like, making something fun and funny to each other. And all of these great things have popped up around that that idea. Yeah. You know? Uh, groups have formed, FODs have commingled and become friends and gotten married and they go to shows together. And it's amazing what's happened as a result of... <laughs> A long time ago, what was a very little show that very few yeah. people listened to, you know? The muscles that our wives used to roll their eyes have gotten really, like, sinewy and ripped and shredded. Yeah. Ripped and exploded, for sure. <laughs> My wife's eyes have uh, two six-packs uh -huh. behind mm -hmm. them. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents still call it a blog. My parents still listen yeah. and bring up things about it to me that I don't remember. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so for as many things that have changed, uh, just as many seem to have remained the same. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, man, I'm, I'm really glad to still be doing it uh, with you all these hundreds of episodes later. 500. Yeah. Pretty wild to think about. I, I poured a little glass of uh, the best mezcal in the house. Just want to toast you, man. I want to toast you and everyone else who's made this run possible. It's uh, the best job I ever had. Indeed, man. Uh, thanks for thanks for doing it with me, and thanks to all the friends of DeSoto for coming along with us. You don't get this far with this many episodes without so much help along the way, and I know you and I agree on a lot of this, but I think Sarus Faravar at Ars Technica and Sarah Archer at Slate, like we were 30 episodes in, like we were a baby show. Yeah. And we, for some reason, got traction in the online press. And as soon as that happened, it really changed our lives. Yeah. People started listening to the show in droves and started talking about it with each other. And that really, like, it propelled us into a space where, like, I don't want to say it gave us credibility, but, like, yeah, if you're in ours and if you're in Slate, like, you're a real thing. And I yeah. think that gave people a reason to listen to the show. And neither of us had done anything before that would really, like, cause anyone to notice us in particular. So we, I, th I feel like that was a real... I think about that, uh, especially when Sarus reached out to us. I think we were five episodes in when that yeah. article came out, and... I knew Saruza's work from hearing him on podcasts that I listened to and, yeah. and reading his, his writing and stuff. I think he came across us because our friend Jesse Thorne tweeted about the show, you know, when it was like one or two episodes old and Saruza happened to see that and the just total happenstance of timing. Like he happened to be looking at the internet when Jesse happened to tweet about it. Like we may never have, have arrived at this day had 
a little stroke of luck like that not happened. And uh, I'm tremendously grateful to him and Jesse and Sarah Archer for, you know, I think probably 10,000 listeners came to us through uh, those two channels. And I don't know if any of it would have happened without that kind of initial little spark. Yeah, I mean, those are the sparks that make the show feel real. But in terms of like longevity, you don't get to eight years without everyone who's ever supported the show financially or written a review. Like, review's still very important. Everyone has a podcast. Everyone has a Star Trek podcast, even. (laughs) So, like, how do you distinguish yourself in that group? I mean, we're still the most and highest rated Star Trek podcast on iTunes, and that is a huge thing. That really means a lot. And that's not something that we can do for ourselves. That's something only FODs can do for us. Anyone who's ever told a friend and gotten them into it, like we're just finishing up a a live show tour. Yeah. And frequently we meet the person who came with the person that introduced them to the show. It's, It's so wonderful. Yeah. And like sometimes they're like, hey, we found your show like four weeks ago and we're just loving it. And we're like, you paid the like (laughs) extra money to get the VIP because you found the show four weeks ago? (laughs) Yeah. How? And I just feel so lucky for the group that has connected with this show too, because the Friends of DeSoto have been almost universally just a great hang when we've gotten to meet people in real life, you know, meeting people at the shows or at the Star Trek convention or if people come up to us, you know, out out in the world, all just like conscientious, nice, funny, personable. And we are lucky enough to know a, a few other people who have had their lives go from, you know, fairly anonymous to having a, a big audience. Mm-hmm. And pretty universally, those friends have privately expressed <laughs> that they really admire the the group of people that enjoy what we do as a, you know, as something to aspire to because we are in, indeed very lucky to have just like a great group that, that uh, has attached themselves to this. Yeah. We are really fortunate about that. I think about, you know, of the, the Miriam obstacles we encountered just in making the show week to week. If one of the wins against us was, <laughs> Was an audience population that sucked. Yeah. It would have been hard to do this as long as we've done. And fortunately, so many of them are are great and on our side and and lovely to be around. True. And really kind to each other. They've made a great community out of this thing. Yeah. And that sense of community, I think, is something that neither of us really had a hand in. That was something that was hand-built by the Friends of DeSoto in a really cool way, a way that I think we both really admire. There's some other names I want to throw out as big thanks. I want to thank Josh Lindgren and Arlen Papazian, who are our friends and agents. Um, I think that uh, friend and agent kind of gets used interchangeably for both of them because they both really are true friends and have also, you know, helped us book all of our live show tours and have been great advisors to us on how to have a business and how to how to be entertainers (laughs) entertainers <laughs> on a professional basis both when things are going great and when things are at their worst they've they've always been there and they've always been our friends and they've always been extremely uh, professionally supportive too so yeah couldn't yeah. do this without them 
I think we should definitely thank Chuck Bryant and um, Josh Clark of Stuff You Should Know. Both really sweet guys. We've uh, gotten to be closer and closer friends with Chuck to the point we uh, socialize with him outside of work all the time. But, you know, they also definitely put us on early on, mentioned our show on their show, which has a staggeringly huge audience. And I, I talk to people all the time that found us through mentions on Stuff You Should Know. And they've also just been extremely kind to us in terms of offering mentorship as podcasters who have been there for a long time. And, you know, Jesse Thorne is definitely in that group too. He's like a, uh, you know, a person that was there at the inception of the podcast business in the way that Josh and Chuck were. And we're lucky enough to count all of those people as, as dear friends who have, uh, have helped us out through, through thick and thin, like the, uh, celebrated the highs and uh, counseled us and been a shoulder for us to lean on in the lows. Yeah, Jesse and everyone at the network uh, have been really great to us over the years. Have to thank them for all their support as well. Yeah, especially like uh, Danny Baruela and Kira Gowan. The whole network just so great. Such a dream to work with. Yeah. Hey, Adam. I also just want to thank you for, you know, sticking with me. I know that uh, I'm not always the easiest guy to work with. I've uh, definitely had my rough patches over the course of our collaboration, and um, you've put up with a ton. <laughs> you are one of the funniest people I've ever met. You you make me belly laugh every time I see you. And a thing I thought about over my birthday weekend a couple of weeks ago, we went to New Orleans, um, you and me and a, a few other pals of mine. And there were a couple of moments where I said something to you that made you laugh really hard. And I thought about like the first time I ever hung out with like a professional comedy person and made them laugh at a joke and was like, maybe there's something to this, but like even if there isn't, it is just a thrill to get somebody whose sense of humor I respect this much to laugh. And I still have that with you. When I, If I can get a big laugh out of you, I mean, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> but it's it, it's still a thrill, man. Fuck me, right? <laughs> just the worst. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you saying that. I... I'm so lucky to be working with you on this. Uh, I'm so fortunate to be your friend. And there's so much that goes into this, like not from the professional sphere, but just like that moment when I had a real job and the podcast ended up taking more and more time and space and energy and all of it. I'm really fortunate to have friends in my life who have like left square jobs and become entrepreneurs and like taken risks and and sometimes they failed and and sometimes they work out and I was really, really nervous about like giving this the full energy. And I think we're both really lucky to have such supportive people in our lives that were that were like game for this and supportive for it. I'm talking about our friends, but I'm also talking about our wives, like wives who married who they thought would be like serious professional people. <laughs> and instead, I think we were always these people but made the space for us with some judgment, but also with some encouragement to be like, if this is what you are, if you are a comedy person, 
you must express the comedy. And this, in the beginning, seemed like a healthy way to do it and a healthy person to do it with. Yeah. And the stakes were low in the beginning, but when the stakes got high, we've taken this very seriously from the start. This was never a hobby to the extent that we didn't take it seriously or, or give it all of our effort. And I think that really mattered. Yeah. It mattered when it came to like seeking the advice of the people we care about and finally like feeling good about changing our lives, like changing gears and and becoming the professionals that we are. And so like there are more people that than we could possibly name in helping us like arrive at that decision, but like our families and our wives are a big big part of why this works and they have our gratitude. Indeed. Yeah, here's to the wives. Here's to Everyone who's stuck with us through all 500 episodes and uh, thanks to Wendy and Rob and Bill and Nick Dittmore and all the dozens and dozens of people who have helped us in ways big and small along the way. We've just been so lucky in the like relationships that we've been able to form or that we had that were able to help us out through this whole thing. Hey, every every producer, every editor... Our full-time producer right now has really changed our lives since we hired her. Wendy's a real one and has made our lives immeasurably better Yeah, with her great work. I think just crossed her two-year mark yeah. at the Uxbridge Shimoda Company as of the release of this. And uh, yeah, I feel so lucky to work with her. So lucky to have worked with Rob Schulte back in the day. Yeah. And all of the uh, folks that were able to work with on kind of a guest editor mm-hmm. basis. Ragusia. Yeah, Adam Ragusia has uh, been so fun to collaborate with on music stuff and just get to know better and better. He's like one of the galaxy brains of the world. And like, you know, he was just like a guy that we knew who had a podcast about public radio when we first met him. And has really made a public intellectual of himself in a really cool way. Like he, he's like parlaying big success as an internet cook into like an interrogation of his own mind in public that I really admire. Like I'm, I, I wish I was as disciplined as him sometimes. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a serious show one day. <laughs> it's very inspiring. Yeah, really admire that guy. Well, anyways. I'm sure we are leaving people out and uh, probably should just be burned at the stake for doing that. But uh, <laughs> if you haven't heard us name check you, I hope you know how much your support means to us. Like all the FODs everywhere. Yeah. Really uh, changed our lives. And uh, we'll keep, like Dirk says at the award show in Boogie Nights, we're just going to keep rocking and rolling, <laughs> helping people have better sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's to uh, at least 500 more, Adam. Yeah. Until we die. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. Smooth? I poured a glass of rum that's probably older than 50% of our listeners. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, uh, a great toast for a great moment and uh, just a great episode, wouldn't you say, Ben? Let's get into it, Adam. It's season seven, episode four, repression. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> Our cold open shows us a Bajoran man, Tin Man, who seems like he's that 
That guy who hasn't moved out of his parents' house, he's got all the posters of Voyager <laughs> up on his walls. His tabs are open to pics of BLT and, and Chicote and Tuvok. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was the Voyager schematic for sale the way the entrepreneur one was? Because a friend of DeSoto sent in years yeah. ago the like every deck of, of the Enterprise D as a top-down engineering schematic yeah. chart. It reminded me of the one I had on my very own wall. When I was growing up. Yeah. Just the greatest. Well, this guy is kind of, he's speaking about primal energy and rebirth. And this guy should have a podcast. It's kind of incantatorial. He's sort of the Jordan Peterson of Bajorans. Incantatorial is such a great word. My wife and I have been playing a lot of Scrabble lately. <laughs> and I love doing that, you know, that E-D-I-N-G-S, like appendage on words. I should really give more thought to uh, editorial. <laughs> you know, you should probably check in the dictionary before you do. I may have made that one up on the fly. No, I'm, that's you know what I'm doing. You got to challenge me. <laughs> You're the one that that does the risk. Wow, that's a <laughs> for you. The juice is the game, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's how I turn Scrabble into gambling. You're the Tom Sizemore of of Scrabble. Yeah, yeah, big fun. What's interesting about the tab that he's got open is that these three characters are all wearing their Maquis gear. Maquis? Yeah. Hey, Bajoran man, is this your idea of sex? <laughs> <laughs> like, he can only blast if they're dressed as Maquis? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the thing. I think in retrospect, my thought was that this is a flashback to before Voyager got lost in the D-Quad. Mm -hmm. But it is not, they don't give it any of the treatment that is often given to a flashback. It's not desaturated or right. echoey or anything like that. And to that extent, I think this is a show pretty confident in its visual language about like, absent those things, we're supposed to consider this a contemporary moment with the rest of what's going on. Right. And that moment picks up after the theme where it's it's Paris and BLT in a corridor. BLT is holding flowers. Paris is wearing a kind of uh, disco shirt. Yeah. A very blousey blue shirt. Not a particularly deep V, but a V. Am I right about this? Does it seem like a shirt that you would paint in as an artistic <laughs> painter? Like like a smock? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It kind of seems to have that kind of hang. Yeah, it's either that or like a Saturday Night Fever kind of kind of shirt. I don't know. It's very jaunty, or like a particularly stylish Bond villain might rock this. Do you think about what you wear to a movie theater? Because that's where they're headed. I mean. I never wear shorts to a movie theater, is what I'm getting at. Oh, because too chilly. Yeah. But you're you're a chilly man. I am a chilly man. I think I can get away with shorts in a movie theater. Yeah. I think I just think about what, I, what I'm wearing for general purposes. And uh, I guess the extreme air conditioning of a movie theater hasn't been enough of a problem in my life that I would like not go into one on a, uh, like, I'm out with friends and yeah. a spontaneous movie idea enters the chat. Like, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it, you know? Even if I was in the shortest of shorts. I really love how much thought Paris puts into the theater itself on the holodeck. 
it doesn't look comfortable as movie theaters go. Like a very uh, shallow <laughs> slope to the seats. The the sort of uncomfortable seats you recall from pre comfortable movie theater experiences. Right. Right. It's definitely what what this projects. There was that like moment, like right at the end of the '90s, where the yeah. technology of stadium seating came into play. Yeah. And like some movie theaters were too old to do it and they could not hang anymore. I got to say, I I want all movie theaters to live. All movie theaters deserve to live in my mind. But whoever was the thought leader that said stadium seating for movie theaters, that guy's a genius. I think it was literally like the guy that started the AMC chain was like the person that came up with that. You could do anything after making that idea enshrined in movie theaters, and you're still okay with me. (laughs) You did one great thing. (laughs) Boy, a carpeted floor to a movie theater is really optimistic, isn't it? Yeah, but that was the way at the time. Can't believe it. I mean, good for acoustics, right? Yeah. So they sit down in these uncomfortable seats, and, and Paris gives BLT her 3D glasses, and she's not feeling it. She's not even trying to get on his level. And when the 3D movie starts, the revenge of the creature plays. And uh, as it begins, there's another creature rising from the murky depths below <laughs> Paris's popcorn bucket. <laughs> I loved BLT's description of the kind of like reverse backflip he did to watch a 3D movie yeah. in the holodeck. Let me get this straight. You've gone to all this trouble to program a three-dimensional environment that projects a two-dimensional image, and now you're asking me to wear these to make it look three-dimensional again? Great, isn't it? Oh, I hated knowing that BLT's a movie talker, though. Yeah. Did not like this. <laughs> well, she's out of her cultural depth, you know? Like, she's not used to this. He is. Yeah, that's true. They decide to delete the audience instead of having BLT kill this lady. It, it seems like there's a season where BLT would have killed another theater goer. Mm-hmm. That's not this season, though. She's more evolved. Yeah. If, like, Cosmo Kramer were two rows in front of them, she yeah. would have gotten the mechleth out, probably. Weird thing happens, though. They delete the audience, but one person remains in the front row. And uh, when they go check out who this is, they realize it's Tabor. And they both know him. He's a Bajoran, and he's not responding. Yeah. He is in a coma. But his eyes are open, Ben. Yeah, So, but presumably... Because he's in a coma, he would not mind if uh, they finished their, you know, Lauren Boberding that they were doing back in the back <laughs> of the theater. The doc asks what happens, and uh, Paris begins by saying, Well, I just saw Tabor today <laughs> Sitting in the front row he didn't pay BLT and I were there to play pineapple ropes streaming down her face with legs wide open under the silver screen welcome to this place I'll show you everything 
Hey, if you're consuming pineapple in enough quantity, you're not going to get Pearl Jam. The doc is into singing. I think he respects what Paris is trying to do here. That was a Pearl Jam song, right? That was Creed. Damn it! Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) That's like a fair thing to confuse if that's not your genre, right? They have the same kind of singing in them. The yarling is very similar. Okay. Of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. I haven't known many people in comas. <laughs> like, I have known people in comas. None of their eyes are open. Oh. Is this a situation where the doctor has to do that that wave over the face in order to close them? No, because that's when you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, this eyes open coma is strange, and the doc doesn't know why the eyes are open or why Tabor is in the coma at all. Yeah. They got to investigate in the hollow theater, and it's real, like, classic crime scene tableau with like Tuvok and Paris and BLT and Tuvok's definitely like the grizzled Pacino type you know like TV man didn't didn't see it he heard it mostly (laughs) he points at a stain on the floor and they go like shape charges (laughs) and he's like if somebody was shooting ropes that accurately it means they're good (laughs) <laughs> Tuvok like uh, dips a finger into a pineapple rope like touches it to his tongue <laughs> <laughs> pineapple pineapple run it through every database you're gonna get the phone book do it anyway <laughs> you're gonna get the entire produce department do it anyway <laughs> back in six bay the doctor is showing the captain and Tuvok what he's come up with in scanning Tabor. And yeah. there's some evidence of like little contusions and fractures. He's not like bruised or anything, but he definitely got his ass kicked in some way. <laughs> and the EMH is of the opinion that this was an attack. Yeah. Micro fractures to the skull. Ugh. Is that what happens when you get melded? I wanted to know more about that because like midway through this episode, many people suffer from this. And the idea that a meld could fracture your skull, is that why What's-Her-Name has blood coming out of her nose in Star Trek Six? I think that must be. Either that or she like inhaled a fragment of a wooden shoe. Hence the word sabotage. Yeah. So Tabor was the guy who set up the program. So that explains why why he might have been there. And uh, that's all they have to go on for evidence. Like Kim walks in and he's like, look, I, I checked out the sensor logs and they're all good. Like computer doesn't think anything wrong happened in here. And at this point, Tuvok gets called back to Six Bay. And in there, the doc tells him and Janeway and Chakotay about these, these skull fractures. Yeah. And as the lead investigator... Tuvok's on it. There was that moment where Janeway was like, you're taking lead on the investigation. And I was like, does she need to say that out loud? As the main security man? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like... I wondered that too. Obviously. Is this show still getting new viewers? Maybe. At this moment in time? Yeah. Oh, last season of Voyager. I mean, let me try this one out. Yeah. <laughs> Episode four sounds like a great place to jump in. I really think... Even if you have the codes for all the doors, 
Tuvok's got a knock first, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen anyone knock on a door? It's always chime on Star Trek. Yeah. He uses his code to get the door open and finds crewman Jor in there playing with Tabor's action figures. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. Very embarrassing. And he's like, what are you doing in here? Turns out she's like, she's a friend of his. She was, she, she cares about him. She was uh, looking for a book or something. She had the keys. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, how flimsy is I was just looking for a book? Seems pretty suspicious, Jor. Yeah. Jor was a, a very alien-sounding name to me, but she didn't have any loaf. She's not even Bajoran. No. No. She thinks Tabor is a pretty swell dude. They're just friends, and uh, she doesn't know why anyone would want to hurt him. Stop reading stuff into Tabor and Jor's relationship, guys. It's not like that. They're just pals. Yeah, you know, the only person reading anything into the relationship is Jor reading to Tabor at the bedside. You know, that's like a Temerian metaphor right there that just means uh, platonic. Yeah, a platonic friendship where one of them will set their life aside when the other is in a coma to read at their bedside. Yeah. We really licked each other's assholes during the Marin of this episode. I wouldn't do that for you. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> Jor was at work during the attack. Yeah, she's got a bulletproof alibi here. Yeah, don't even think about accusing her. We get a little mini McLaughlin group. Issue one. With Chakotay, Tuvok, and the captain. And this is just kind of an update on where we are in the investigation. A discovery has been made that holodeck logs were deleted. And Tuvok is pretty convinced that a member of the crew did whatever happened to Tabor. It's not like, I, I love that. Janeway is like, but this is Star Trek. Like, there's so many, like, potential things that could go to explain this. Like, uh, invisible alien from a different dimension that wants to understand what corporeal beings are like. or right. uh, That wants to understand murder. Yeah. Or, or comas. <laughs> or like, uh, you know, subspace vacuoles. Like, there's a billion things that this could be. We're, you know, <laughs> we're yeah. 500 episodes in at this point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Tuvok likes Jor for this. A lot. Yeah, but just to be clear, Tabor does not like Jor. It's uh -huh. not like that between them. Like, he likes her as a friend. This is something Chakotay needs clarification on in this scene. Yeah. A close relationship is hardly a crime. He's like, what is the status of, like, has Tabor ever, like, made a bathtub for Jor or, or vice versa? Like, where are they at W slash R slash T tubs? They're not bathtub serious. I don't think anyone else could be. <laughs> it takes too much of the raw materials, Ben. Yeah. So Chakotay leaves and the captain is like, hey, Tuvok, like, what is up? Like, you really seem to be on one here. Like, it seems like you're very dedicated to solving the crime, but what are you going on? And he's like, I don't want to call it a hunch because that's not logical, but I got a real strong hunch. Uh <sighs> Don't like this. Makes me uncomfortable. Vulcans having hunches and so yeah. forth. I don't think Janeway's very cool with this either. Doesn't feel good. Ben, I got a question. Hmm. If Tuvok has a hunch and the first officer doesn't agree and kind of throws it back in his face, is that a hunchback of Chicote? 
<laughs> um, hold on. I'm just uh, working a couple of things out on the calculator here. I'm going to carry the two. Yeah, no, yep, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, good. That tracks. Later in engineering, we meet a random named Yosa. And this guy, I love how this scene unfolds because I don't believe it's anything without the music. The music suggests danger. And when Yosa hops into the Jeffrey's tube and the lights go out, oh boy, this is scary. Yeah. This is no good. He is talking to Jor, Mm -hmm. who is up on the second level of engineering, almost like Juliet on her balcony. But we know Jor's innocent. We know Jor's innocent, and we know that there's definitely nothing going on between Yosa and Jor. No. Like, if anything's going on, it's between Tabor and Jor, and nothing's going on between them. So why are you even bringing up Yosa? Yeah. In a weird way, it reminded me of the scene in Ghostbusters 2 where Winston gets run over by the ghost train. (laughs) (laughs) Did you catch the number on the locomotive? Sorry. I missed it. Which has remained a very scary moment in movies for me. Yeah, that's rough. But I don't know, something about seeing her up there kind of put me ill at ease also. So he, you know, has to go check something in a Jeffrey's tube. And you're right, like the music cue is freaky. Did you feel something supernatural about this in the way that the person with the flashlight, like you couldn't see their birdie. Yeah. But like something felt alien and like, robotic almost about their pursuit and that no amount of doors closing would protect Yosa from this person. He's finally cornered and then the scene ends. We we cut over to Six Bay and now Yosa is on a bed with his eyes open. And I don't have a song for this moment. I wrote down temp lyrics, but I need to if I'm really gonna do this bit, I need to do some re-records and I will. That's my that's my promise to Wendy. I know you don't want to do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Poor Yosa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got the same injuries as as Tabor. And uh, what's suspicious about this moment is Crewman Jor isn't responding to comm signals. Yeah. Uh oh. In retrospect, the the cruel irony of Yosa trying to radio security mm. in this mm-hmm. moment. Ugh. Yeah. You hate to see it. The computer says that Jor's in the mess hall, so Chakotay and Tuvok go investigate, and they find her slurped over that that couch we were talking about in the last episode. Yeah. With eyes wide open. (laughs) Hey, guys, go ahead and turn on the lights in the mess hall when you go in there to look for somebody. It's okay. I think that's a good idea. It's not like anybody's in there sleeping. Oh, wait! Jor! (laughs) Six Bay's filling up with birdies, Ben. And Chakotay knows all these folks. You think that it's three people that have gotten got, but it's actually five people when we get to Six Bay. George's the only one that thought to choose a book to read to these comatose folks. Chakotay never thought of that. Who's going to read to him now? I mean, it's a small list and it's getting shorter by the day. Yeah. Of Maquis who are literate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a terrible stereotype, Ben. so there's five people in comas now and the doctor has nothing going as far as a cure goes the fact that this is also all maquis being victimized has 
whether intentionally or not, really put Chakotay and the captain at odds. Like there's that little your crew, my crew, our crew interaction that they have. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. Janeway proposes like, maybe we should confine all the Mayquies to a section of the ship. While we figure out what's going on. And he's like, can you hear yourself? (laughs) Do you understand how, how problematic that is? Yikes. Yeah. Tuvok takes this very personally. Like, he he almost has a respect for this assailant. Like, God, this guy's good. <laughs> he's escaping these sensors. Yeah. He he's not showing up anywhere. I, I feel like I feel like I know the guy. Kind of a worthy adversary <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, finally. Finally, someone I can respect in this goddamn place. So they have a Makewee's team meeting in the mess hall. Does it surprise you that this may have been the first time that they've done this since joining the crew? I think generally speaking, it's good to discourage this kind of (laughs) thing. Yeah. I was surprised to learn that there's another Vulcan among the Makewee's. Thought that too. Hey, could be a Rom though. I was surprised to learn that there were a couple of Bolians among the Makewee's. I know. You know, if there were three, there they would be uh, trollians. <laughs> That's true. You know what I like the least about this scene? It isn't that it's a gathering of ex-Makewees who may or may not have allegiance toward their own Makewees-ness or Voyager. It's that they distribute and carry dustbusters out of this meeting <laughs> and go back to work like like everything's cool. The think-through on this was so badly done by BLT and Chakotay. They're like, all right, guys, we understand that you're very freaked out. A substantial percentage of the ex-Makewees aboard have been put into comas. There is no explanation. There is no suspect currently in custody. We know nothing. But what we are encouraging you to do is do not be paranoid, but... Keep your head on a swivel and carry a weapon at all times. Nobody goes anywhere alone. The only thing that (laughs) defeats a bad guy with a dustbuster is a good guy with a dustbuster. So happy hunting. Yeah. I get the bends going from a scene like this back into the holodeck theater. Like the holodeck theater is a place we go to many, many times. I love the idea that like they left the program running and just strung like police tape across the front door of the holodeck. I want to see the corridor where, you know, from the last episode, the people sign up for time and shit. Like, yeah. where's the disappointed Bolian rolling up to the holodeck, like checking his pad, <laughs> checking the wall, checking his pad? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> And like the security guy that's standing there and he's like, come on, man, move along. There's an active investigation. He's like, you know, I'm armed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I do have a tea time. (laughs) So uh, inside the program, Paris and Kim and Tuvok are are working on the investigation and they use the sensors to form an outline of the bad guy. This is a neat effect. I thought so too. They sort of uh, create him standing over the birdie and... They have a height and a weight on this guy, but that's about it. The only person that they're really able to eliminate from the list of suspects is Naomi Wildman. And Harry Kim, because uh, I think that outline goes below the clothing. Yeah. 
This effect really reminded me of that episode of TNG where Jordy starts to turn into an invisible man. Yeah. That was a scary episode too to me. It really was. Yeah. And I love Very loved, unsettling. I loved how short Tuvok was with Harry and Tom. Like Harry's trying to be like, yeah, Tom came up with this cool like technique where we could like figure this out. And he's like, all right, I'm sure he's really smart. Let's look at the evidence. <laughs> Part of the incantation that the Bajoran is doing is like, not to put up with any boring shit. (laughs) (laughs) How unsettled is Tuvok in this scene, like looking at this outline? Do you think you would recognize your own outline if it were in front of you like that? I wonder. The way the the arm is reaching toward the victim yeah. is very Tuvok. Yeah. And I think that they did a really good job of making the ears like, is that a pointy ear or is it same. not a pointy ear? Am I imagining that? Hey, isn't it worth asking the question in the room here, <laughs> Harry Kim? <laughs> is that a pointy ear? You can ask it. Maybe ask when Tuvok's left the room. Mm-hmm. Is it just me, or did we see a pointy ear? <laughs> I think. So later in a corridor, BLT and the Bullion are packing. And this guy's name is Chell. And he's got a lot of theories about what all of this is about. Maybe it's a conspiracy. Chell has, has gone full, like, QAnon conspiracy thinking about this, where he's like, yeah, like, probably what's going on is the captain is trying to you know like all these packets of information are going back and forth to the federation now yeah probably she's trying to like eliminate the maquis before we get home so that uh you know no awkward shit when we arrive i was positive and i lost a lot of money on this (laughs) i was positive chell was gonna die before the end of this episode chell did really have guy whose days are numbered energy (laughs) <laughs> he definitely seemed like guy who was going to get cut in half. Yeah. We cut over to the conference room where Tuvok is doing interrogations. And Kim walks in thinking that it's just going to be like an update on his progress. No. Tuvok tells Kim that that he has read Kim's mail. <laughs> And Kim takes great umbrage with this. And when he does, Tuvok's like, yeah, there are rules about my ability to do this. I suspect the data stream as being evidence of what's going on here. Like it coincided with the the initial attack in such a way that I'm reading everyone's mail. Yeah. Tuvok suggests that there's this guy, Max Saroyan, I think was the name, where this guy bought it and like, Bought it at the hands of Maquis, and maybe Kim just learned about this and is trying to get revenge on all Maquis everywhere for the death of his friend. And they didn't say it outright, but I sort of got the sense that Kim was implying that he knew before they even left for the Badlands on Voyager that his friend had died. Yeah, and he is over it. He is really okay with it. That doesn't make him a suspect. You can't accuse him of shit. Yeah. Tuvok, newsflash, Mr. Saroyan's girlfriend was hot, and I had an opportunity with her before we left, so I'm chill, man. No, no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to say I'm chill. I'm chill. <laughs> <laughs> when you know Harry Kim lived for a time in San Francisco, 
And the the name Saroyan is used here. Like this is a reference to William Saroyan, right? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. William Saroyan's great. You got to read some Saroyan. I think you'd love him. Really? You're so well read. I'm not really. I wish I was. I'm shocked you have a blind spot for William Saroyan. All right, I'll fix that. <laughs> anyway, this scene ends very poorly for Tuvok. Far worse than is generally known. Because when Kim talks his way out of the meeting, Tuvok does that jaw clench thing. That's how you know he's troubled. One of the greatest jaws in all of clenching. Yeah. Great clencher. I mean, like, Kim is off the hook, and then Tuvok is like, yeah, I fucking hate this investigation. It's really, like, pissing me off because I can't solve the mystery. Once again, Tuvok's like, God, I respect this guy. Just, (laughs) Just the fucking best. It's like playing chess with a grandmaster. It's just, <laughs> It's like playing chess with a grandmaster and we're both like wearing vibrating dildos in our asses that give us the moves that we should make ahead of time. And they're going off constantly. And we're both drinking rope masters. <laughs> so it's like a chess master rope master. <laughs> Great news. Tabor is awake. Hey. And he seems fine. He doesn't know what happened or why anyone would want to hurt him. And I guess all the skull fractures are fixed. I was really confused by how okay he was. And not just him, everyone else who eventually wakes up, they're fine. The indignity of waking up from having been in a coma for like a week or whatever, and security's like, what do you remember? (laughs) First thing that happens is you get interrogated and you don't really have any memory of being attacked. And like Tuvok just walks away in a huff. That is a great, great point. Like say you're in a coma and you wake up. The very last thing I would want to be confronted with is a security dude asking me a bunch of questions. (laughs) Dude, can you give me some fucking ice cream and pull out the tube sticking inside my ass and urethra so I can take a normal piss. <laughs> what I want a lot right now is to like drink a beer in the shower yeah. and you're giving me all this fucking static. Like, I can't help you, man. And you're not helping me. You know what would help you eventually? Me having a beer in the shower. <laughs> He's like, can you explain like why you're bringing all this static? And Tuvok just walks away from him. Yeah. Yeah. So in a corridor, Chakotay finds Chell alone. And that's a problem because the policy has been dustbuster buddy system from jump. And I don't know, Chell, you're being pretty casual with, the, with your reasoning. I kind of found Chell to be suspicious here. Yeah. But that's not the case. He says BLTs in Cargo Bay 2. Can I say something that really bothered me about this scene? Yeah. It's like a shot reverse shot of Chakotay. Like Chakotay's got like the Superman arms mm-hmm. on his hips and he's like questioning Chell and Chell's like, oh yeah, man, like I uh, I don't want to like throw her under the bus, but it wasn't me that walked away from my buddy. It was my buddy that walked away from me. And when we cut to the reverse shot of Chell, that seam that runs up and down a bullion. Yeah. It's going down the back of his head and then it meets his back zip and the zipper is like an inch out of alignment with the seam on his head. Oh, I hate that. 
Oh God, it drove me crazy. <laughs> I would wear a front zip if I were a bullion just to prevent that from happening. Just because you can always check. You can yeah. always make sure that the zipper's lined up right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> oh God, no. Yeah, I wouldn't like that at all. Got to keep it lined up if you're chill. Also, Chakotay reassigns Vulcan Lady to be Chell's buddy now, and he gets to go off by himself. How is Chell not a suspect? His lines don't line up. Yeah. He's walking around alone with a dustbuster. Chell, Chell, you seem shady as hell. Yeah, he really does. Solo, Chakotay walks down to Cargo Bay 2, where Chell said BLT was, and... He does not see her. He asks the computer. The computer confirms. That's got to be one of the scariest moments in Star Trek for a character. Is like, <laughs> find me who I'm looking for. The person you're looking for is in the room that you're in. Yeah. He's like, Balana? Hey, uh, I'm not Balana. I'm Echeb's brother. Uh, just squeegeeing some sewage over here. I haven't honestly seen her. But, you know, there's a lot of, like, stacked up stuff in here, so I'm, she could have come in and I missed her. Yeah, one big part of that is the lights are off when I'm working in here. Like, the lights come on for other crew people automatically, and then when they leave, they turn off again. I don't know what that is. Like, does, is it, like, some kind of sensor that tunes to other species? That seems weird, right? Shouldn't it just be a motion sensor? Believe me, I'm making a lot of motion using this floor squeegee on the sewage. I honestly don't understand how anybody else could be in here, given what it smells like. I mean, maybe turn off the lights just to see if it helps with how stinky it is. BLT's down, with eyes wide open. (laughs) And when Chakotay whips his flashlight around, he sees Tuvok there watching. And this scene gave me chills. This is like the end of uh, Blair Witch Project. Yeah. This look in Tuvok's face is terrifying. This is a holy time. What? And then Tuvok starts attacking. Uh, security to Kogame 2! Chicote is no match for Tuvok. No one is. Yeah, Tuvok's way stronger than regular people. Yeah. The Tuvok gets behind Chicote and melds him from the back. If you can meld them from the front, wait till you meld them from the back, back, back. Yeah. One of our more interesting missions. I've got to get that. Latinum. Put your Latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that. Latinum. No, I think we've just dropped gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. 
Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This cuts into Janeway's log, where the update is Chicote and BLT are now in Six Bay, the latest victims, and we've gone to lockdown on Voyager. What does lockdown mean? It means uh, no going out. You're staying in your quarters, and also dustbusters everywhere. Yeah. We're back in the cargo bay, and Tuvok is there looking for evidence, and he's doing like the just like a bandana around his nose and mouth, mm-hmm. which, you know, at the time we kind of thought would probably protect you, but in retrospect, like, wasn't actually a, a real safety measure. I really love how the tension remains the same. Like, in the moments in this episode before we know it's Tuvok and the ones right after, that stays consistent, if not becoming worse. Right. Once we know it's Tuvok and he's in 
close proximity to the investigation and, and other people who haven't gone into a coma with their eyes wide open? They're talking about, you know, like crew members are waking up one by one. Mm-hmm. And they're fine. They're fine, but it's a pattern. And so Tuvok is like, that must be part of it. Like, if they're waking up and they're fine, then there must be some intent behind that. And the captain is like, dude, you need to go to bed. <laughs> Tuvok's like, I can't. <laughs> this guy's the perfect foil. I think I'm falling in love with him. He seems beautiful. I can almost sense his presence. I like this moment for the captain. Like, I don't want to order you. I would rather just ask. And uh, Tuvok goes back to his quarters and gets on the meditation cushion and gets it on. Yeah, this is good advice. Like, I always talk to our buddy Chuck Bryan about New York Times crossword puzzle. We're both big fans of the New York Times crossword puzzle. There was a Stuff You Should Know episode about it that was great advice and great permission for me because, like, one of the things they said was, like, sometimes it's good to just take a break from New York Times crossword puzzle. Like, you start it and you get stuck, put it away for a couple hours, and then come back to it, and you might have thought of uh, some answers to some of those clues. Ben, you needed an expert to tell you that? Set down the thing that's frustrating you. I think I, like, for some reason felt a sense of, like, I need to, like, get this in one. You're a blood and guts crossworder, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. But I've become a lot more zen about it in the way that the captain is advocating for Mm -hmm. here. Do you ever get terrifying visions when you do your crossword? (laughs) Yeah. Because that's what Tuvok gets here. Yeah, he, uh, he he turns on his freshening up candle and, and and tries to pray. And I mean, he's seeing the POV of the attacker and not quite connecting one and two <laughs> in doing that. When Tuvok pops up and goes to the bathroom, he tries to wash his hands clean, but they'll never be clean, Ben. Never. You can't out-out that damn spot. He pulls up his shirt. And he's got that bruise on his abdomen. You know that's a defense wound, Ben. He's the guy. Maybe that's what happened to me. I showed you my crazy bruise, right? Yeah. I had a bruise just like this. Like It was gross as hell. It was, it was a really brutal bruise. I have no memory of, of what caused it. Oh, I mean, I think it was pretty clear it was a drunk bruise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what we agreed it was. I mean, yeah. I was definitely in New Orleans when it happened, so... I think the number of New Orleans bruises is far greater than uh, any other kind of bruise, for sure. (laughs) So this kicks off some terrifying visions of that Bajoran dude from the cold open. He's in the mirror reflection, and then he's gone. And so Tuvok beats it out of there and heads into the corridor. And uh uh-oh, he's got a conspicuous dustbuster on him as he goes. Yeah. I like the look of the mock turtleneck you know, under uniform shirt. Yeah. With the back zip. Like that a lot. Not for a bullion, but for him. It looks better on him than a bullion, you know. Yeah. Hey, bullions can't pull off everything, all right? And I don't think it's racist to say that. I think a half bullion, half Vulcan would never get it out of alignment, you know? Talking about a bullion? <laughs> yeah, or a a, a, a Vulcan. <laughs> But I don't want to balkanize this conversation into a million different tangents. Mm. 
they are back looking at the ghostly images that the computer created for when uh, Tabor got got. And Tuvok is like trying to ask them the computer where he was when this happened. And the computer says that that information is restricted. And he uses his little code to override that. And the computer reveals he was also on the holodeck when this happened. Amazing reveal. And he goes, lock me up, lock me up, lock me up. When they do like the perfect height for height match at the end, it made me crazy because I was like, why didn't you do that in the beginning? (laughs) Measure this guy and then remove from suspicion everyone who isn't this height. Yeah, I think they did say something about like, we're going to work on like getting it a little bit higher resolution or something. Yeah. But yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. They could have at least eliminated like a lot of people, more than just Naomi Wildman at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So at this point, Tuvok is just actively seeing this Bajoran guy in his real life. He is like totally delusional and he's realizing that he is not safe to be, you know, in the gen pop on Voyager and that he's probably the one that's been doing these attacks, but he is also like very distracted by the presence of a guy he believes to be there that nobody else can see. So we cut to the brig where Tuvok is trying to pray and the doctor is trying to scan him. Mm. And it's they're both like, hey, do you mind trying to do something here? Yeah, hard to do. Doc does that thing where, where he's like, it's okay if I'm inside the force field, but Janeway's got to stay out for her own protection. And uh, it's here that Tuvok says that another voice is trying to control him. Someone with a Bajoran incantation. Yeah. And Tuvok says he keeps seeing him in the room. And then he cops to mind-melding a bunch of the Maquis. Mind-melts. Why? I don't know. He blames the Bajoran for, for making him do this. Well, a primal energy charges the blood. Yeah. It's in your blood. I'm a primal energy, and I'm making you murder your friends and family. You'll never take me seriously unless I make you kill. (laughs) It's your mission, and this is a really holy time. So go ahead and kill as many people as you want. It takes a little longer than I would like for Janeway to establish that this person isn't a member of the crew? That's got to be my first question. Yeah. Is this person on board? No is the answer. How did this start? It's a letter from Tuvok's son sent in the last data stream. So Janeway goes to investigate that. And in Six Bay, Chakotay and BLT wake up 29 hours later, they got to be feeling great. It's ice cream and real pisses for both of them. But then they look at their fitness tracker watches and they got like 39 minutes of deep sleep and it's like what the fuck it's so disappointing you get a lot of time in sleep but the quality of sleep is shit and then also they're like hey maybe we should look up on the internet like is deep sleep the one that we should be getting or is the like rem or the core better everything i know about rem sleep came from that tng episode (laughs) <laughs> when when people stopped getting it and yeah. were dying. Yeah. They're like, well, at least we can remember that window is the word for window. Right. Like, that's good. Captain, 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 Capt
over in the ass lab, uh, Seven helps Janeway and Chakotay review the message from Tuvok's son. And Tuvok's son's name is Sek. And that has to make it really hard to be in school, yeah. right? How did Sek's paper go? Did he get a good grade? <laughs> hey, so anytime you're in school, that's sex education, isn't it? <laughs> did your did your parents have to sign a waiver to let you do this? Uh <laughs> Hey, what's in sex lunch? <laughs> this poor guy. How is it that like letters from home are actually videos from home? And here's a question about that. Not that we're sending a bunch of letters at any point in time, but like, would you send less letters if the only way to send a letter was a fucking face, like on video? Yeah, probably. Let me write a thing. I don't want to do a video all the time. I, I read a little bit about the production of this episode and they did cut a little thing out when it showed Tuvok initially receiving this uh-huh. this videogram. Because he, they told him it was a sex video? Well, uh, what happens is when he clicks on it on the screen, it plays letters. We get letters. We get sex and sex of letters. I like that a lot. That's good. <laughs> Tuvok, is this your idea of a letter? From sex. <laughs> so with a couple of buttons, Seven reveals that there's a second signal hiding under this one. Yeah. And it's cold open guy. Hey. Chicote recognizes this guy. It's Tiro Enatus. He's a fanatical who's uh, into mind control to recruit members to his cause. And he was yeah. a true Makewee's believer. Like... Probably a greater believer than just a usual Maquis guy. So was it sex in the Anatus? Or was it Anatus in the sex? <laughs> if you're a teacher and like maybe you have a favorite student, but you also have a like a jar of jelly beans on your desk, could you say that uh, you like sex and candy? <laughs> <laughs> Probably could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, like, if you're choosing teams on the playground, like, each team is picking one person, but then, like, sex gets chosen before you, you can choose them? You're like, uh, I want your sex. Yeah. Like the George Michael song? <laughs> yeah, you can do that in, um, like, a white elephant gift exchange, too. Mm-hmm. Do you think he ever, for Halloween, uh, dresses up as Madonna, thus making him Madonna's sex? <laughs> Do you think that he ever, like, had a friend who had the same first name as him and they went to a strip club and people were like, no, 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 no sex in the champagne room. Yeah. None. Janeway wants Tuvok to look at this message. He's in the brig. So they bring it to him. And Tuvok's like, yep, that's the guy controlling me. I've met him. Why does Tuvok get to wear his comm badge and pips was the question I had here. <laughs> Very conspicuous yeah. and useful for the story. Yeah, Tuvok didn't know this guy. Like, they met one time, but, like, in talking about this, he starts to get more memory flashes. And these are, like memory flashes with the flashback, like, you know, sepia tone mm -hmm. or whatever. And what he's remembering is sort of like being schismed. 
he is trying to remember the details of being shizmed. Isn't it upsetting to see Tuvok restrained and practically begging for this guy to stop torturing him? I did not like this scene in a way that yeah. was useful for the episode. Janeway is like, so like specifically, what did he do to you? And Tuvok's like, I don't remember. And Janeway says, try. And Tuvok says, I can't. He did not have sex with me because my son was very far away. <laughs> Janeway comes into the cell. Yeah. And big moment. Tries to do some like guided meditation with him. And it is so similar to the schismed episode where he's like describing the the Star Trek cave he's in and the table he's on and Tiro Anatis standing over him. You know, like it's it's horrible. Like Tiro Anatis is like stabbing shit into his forehead and like Ugh. doing all kinds of gross stuff to him. <sighs> Tuvok like breaks out of the memory and like almost, you know, attacks Janeway and the security guy pulls his dustbuster. It's about to start blasting away at Tuvok. I love this guy. He's fucking jacked. Yeah. Why don't you go hand to hand, Briggsman? It's prison guard. <laughs> Like a brick shit house, I know. And uh, he's got a little salt and pepper in his hair. Yeah. Like, gotta bother him that Tuvok is like almost a hundred years old and is still jet black hair. Yeah. Does Tuvok dye his hair? God, I don't know. I mean, was vanity logical? I don't think it is. The payoff for Tuvok wearing the com badge is Tuvok hitting the com badge to talk to Chakotay, and he speaks a couple words of Bajoran. Why don't you pass the time by playing a little solitaire? Jakote says he understands, and then he leaves. Pogtem far batane is what he says. And Janeway tries to get Tuvok to tell her what this means, but Tuvok can't. It doesn't mean Rowange. It doesn't mean Omerta. No. What does it mean? And Chicote is like not answering comms. Chicote has been just as Manchurian candidated as Tuvok has. Yeah. And he walks into Six Bay and, you know, turns off the EMH and stuns Tom Paris and activates BLT in exactly the same way that Tuvok activated him. Janeway just saw Tuvok today. They were in the brig to meditate. <laughs> and out came words he had to say Pumped him far But the code is spoken <laughs> to Chicote. Wow. <laughs> He's a sleeper agent or a candidate. His mind's been opened And everything has changed He'll shoot you down Oh, he's changed everything <laughs> The code is spoken You, uh, you speak the right code and you're never gonna have Pearl Jam. <laughs> In the corridor, it's clear a bunch of Mayquees have been activated. This is like uh, 
It's everybody that had a coma, right? Like everybody that got the mind melt. This is like assimilation nodules. Yeah. Like fap. Yeah. They're all going in and they're packing. I think it's like this guy saw a huge opportunity in Tuvok in that you do the mind control thing on Tuvok and he can like, he can squirt it into a bunch of other brains once the connection gets made. He's got tubules without tubules. Yeah. In his fingers. So they take the bridge and- yeah. This all goes down while Tuvok is like meditating in the brig and Janeway is standing in there with him. And she's like, what the fuck? I love that in the same sequence that Paris gets shot, Kim also gets shot. <laughs> it's only right. Am I making any sense here? Buddy's till the end. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. It's red alert and Janeway gets the hell out of there. She and the absolute unit of a Briggsman, he gets shot in the back and Janeway confronts Chakotay kind of feebly. Yeah. And he escorts her back to the Brig and kind of swaps her for Tuvok. And then Tuvok goes back to work. It's a new day on Voyager. Tuvok calls Chakotay captain without questioning. They're all back in their Maquis outfits. Chakotay's log, I think, does a lot of lifting here. Like, it's so clear that it's his ship now in very little time. Yeah, like we're five minutes from the end of this episode or something. It's like, what is happening here? Yeah, the plan is to drop off all the Starfleets at the nearest M-class planet. And on the bridge, like, the idea that they kept the steamer trunk full of Maquis clothing and just busted (laughs) it out for this occasion, and everyone looks great, (laughs) is an amazing part of this episode. Yeah, the, the, another scene that they did cut out was BLT putting on her OG Maquis stuff and being like, God, I haven't worn this since before I was pregnant, and I cannot believe I fit into it now. This is great. Looking great, BLT. So Chakotay invites Tuvok into the ready room for a snoot of brandy. A fitting gesture. Chakotay wants the remaining Maquis to be melded into shape. There's, there's a few that have not gotten the message the way the rest of them have. You know, so that they can kind of restore the entire Maquis crew complement. Yeah, flip over the last few chips. But Chicote isn't over those hard feelings he's got about Tuvok's double cross at the beginning of the series. And so as a loyalty test, Janeway's brought in and uh, Chicote hands him a dustbuster. The insinuation being, prove your loyalty yeah. by executing Janeway. You want to get jumped into the gang? This is how you do it. This scene is so tense. This is great Kate McGrew here. She's not desperate. She's not ordering him the way a captain would order a subordinate. She's like doing her damnedest to get through to him. 52 Red Queens and me are telling you, you know what we're telling you? Don't do this. I think it's a great performance. Yeah. What is the guy's name? Yo- Yosa? That's the, the guy guarding Janeway at the time? God, I don't know. They kept cutting back to him many times. I thought he was going to do something. Didn't you? Yeah, I did. I think it's just like the actor that they cast and the way he's styled. Like, he looks very Starfleetily clean cut. Mm-hmm. Like, he just looks like a guy that works in a bank, you know? Yeah, he looks a little out of universe. Yeah, like, he does not have a rebellious air about him. 
Like nobody that's engaging in political rebellion combs their hair like this guy. Mm. Yeah, the hair does a lot of work for making you feel like you're in a time and place. I thought for sure that he was there to be somehow instrumental in dismantling this plot. Yeah. But instead, it's just Tuvok pulling the trigger and the phaser jamming. Yeah. And it's like a, oh, well, you passed the test because you were like, you were down enough to try to kill her in this moment. Yeah. So Janeway gets perp walked out of the room and that leaves Tuvok and Chakotay alone. And this is important because it gives Tuvok a chance to to get the jump on Chakotay. Yeah. Chakotay's neck catches those fingies. Yeah. And he's out of there. And it's not just out of there. It's like it's like in like one elegant movement. It mm-hmm. is neck pinched to mind meld, <laughs> which I don't think we've seen before. Like the uh, like the mind meld is just like part of the movement. When you're really good at melding, it feels like a very low effort situation. Right. Your your bodies just contour with each other. Totally. In a really elegant way. Totally. You know, it's sweaty, but not in like an exertion way, in like a steamy way. Yeah, it's not drippy. Yeah. It's just moist. Yeah, Chakotay and Tuvok come out on the bridge, and Chakotay's like, hey, that planet that we were going to drop them off on, that's not the right one. We got to find a different one. And BLT is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, who cares? Like, let's drop them off at the, at the most mid planet we can find. They're going to be dead anyway. And this suspicion leads to a Mexican standoff. Everybody on the bridge is aiming phasers at each other. Didn't you want more of this? Give me 10 minutes of this. It's like totally unresolved. Like they, yeah. like everybody is aiming guns at each other and then it just cuts to Chakotay and Tuvok coming into the brig and aiming phasers at the guy that has Janeway in the brig. Yeah, I, I don't get that. I don't get the episode not knowing what the most exciting part is. <laughs> I don't know her. (laughs) So they free the captain. It's like a cut to now everything is fine. Tuvok and Chakotay catch each other in the hallway and are like heading down to movie night in the holodeck. It is so hard to get with this as a choice. That passage of time where we go from Janeway being suspicious of Chakotay and Tuvok getting sprung from the brig into like, Everything's fine again. I want to see the retaking of the ship. That's exciting. I do too. And I also thought like, if you're going to cap an episode like this off with a movie, this episode is so obviously referential of Mm -hmm. a couple of classic movies. Like, is there a reason you can't name check Manchurian Candidate or Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Like, Yeah. Why aren't those the movies in the theater is what you're saying? Yeah, like it's Invasion of the Lobster People or something. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's like an obvious thing to reference. Like, what is Lobster People? That's not anything. Classic and classy. I like those choices. Yeah. Do you think Tom and BLT pull another Bobert in the back of the theater when the whole crew is there watching the movie? I don't know. I didn't like how Tuvok sat next to Janeway. Janeway, who had a couple of seats open next to her. (laughs) What are you doing sitting next to me? Tuvok, I'm trying to watch a fucking movie here. (laughs) Now Tuvok's a movie talker? (laughs) Bad look. I think she invited him over. I think it was okay. (laughs) Don't love that. She asks him how he knew the phaser wasn't loaded. Like every scene of its kind in a movie or a TV show, like where the guy takes 
the test weapon and and like shoots at the bad guy in that scene. Yeah. Tuvok had a hunch that it wasn't loaded and wouldn't do that. And in so doing, like proved his loyalty there. So that's the answer. It's unsatisfying or or not. I don't know. Yeah. Why did Janeway have the 3D glasses also? You get those in the lobby. You don't get them from your friend inside the movie theater. I really love this composition, though. The 3D glasses on, the way the white pops. We talked about this in the last episode. The way something white pops in Star Trek is so unusual because nothing is white. Nothing is that color. Yeah. Yeah. It looked great. Great comp. Don't the old paper ones look better than the modern ones, too? Yeah. The modern ones suck. They always feel a little gross. Real D? Yeah. More like real diarrhea. Yeah, I don't like those at all. Get them out of here. Do you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like Brett. And I don't like you. I liked this episode up until that last act. And I was like very frustrated by a few of the cuts that they made to get the story resolved. Like, I think that you could have trimmed down some of the middle act to have a little bit more time in that standoff on the bridge and a little bit more time in the, yeah, the liberation of the ship and the freeing of the captain and stuff like that. Yeah. I thought overall though, like I love a a whodunit in Star Trek. This is a great Star Trek is a place episode. Yeah. And I think that, it does such a good job of drawing inspiration from things like Manchurian Candidate and similar without just ripping them off wholesale and instead putting them in a very Star Trekky context. Like, what if your Manchurian Candidate could also mind meld mm-hmm. is such a cool premise to write a story around. And I think that, like, generally speaking, they deliver on that premise. So I did overall like the episode. I'm with you. The game is one of my favorite TNG episodes, and this felt that way. Totally. Characters that you're supposed to trust. Over the course of many seasons, we're into the seventh season before we finally get a game-like episode. It really paid off that kind of relationship that you built up until then. Yeah. So, yeah, I dug it a lot, but really, as ever, really hard to forgive not showing me the most exciting or interesting parts of the episode. You really got to believe a passage of time is what we need there. And I just don't buy it. (laughs) I want to see the take back of the ship. So that was my main gripe with it. Also, if you're designing a hollow movie theater, it's not going to be this era. I'm sorry. Like this is, (laughs) this is cool and kitschy. Yeah. But, but no one pines for this when they think of great movie theater experiences. I don't think. You could get the whole crew of Voyager into this theater, but like, if you really want like a great movie theater experience, like no one's watching Killers of the Flower Moon in these seats. <laughs> he would never make it. This yeah. Is, like Killers of the Flower Moon wouldn't have a 45 minute intermission yeah. in this era of movie theater. I know. And and you'd need it medically. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, do you want to see if there's any medical necessities for us in the priority one inbox? Sure thing, Ben. We've been prescribed three Priority One messages today. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first one is of a promotional 
nature goes like this. FODs of NYC. Are you or someone you know expecting an acting ensign? Longtime FOD and birth doula Caitlin wants no birthing person to feel like a potted plant. Whether a science officer or not, Six Bay can feel daunting. Caitlin helps you know if you need your baby beamed out or if a traditional Bajoran birth is the way to go. She will wipe your tears while making dick and fart jokes and will never be even a little bit embarrassed by the rawness of birth. www.doulabarge.com Hire Caitlin Doulabarge to support you and your partner during the birth of your new baby. That's spelled D-O-U-L-A-B-A-R-G-E dot com. Hey, my baby was not born in NYC, but hiring a doula, real talk, is the best choice my wife and I made in the anticipation of his delivery. Why is that? So, you know, I didn't really have a strong opinion either way about it, and a couple of friends of mine who have kids strongly encouraged me to go for it as a dad. And it's a relationship that is primarily the birthing parent uh, with the doula, but also very important for the non-birthing parent in that like the doula is there as kind of your advocate, like in the delivery room, from what I understand, most hospitals, like you are not there with the same people the whole time. Like the nurses have shifts and they come and go and, Usually, if you have like an OBGYN, they show up in the last little bit and are there for the, the pushing part, but there's a whole lot to labor before that. And Ardula taught us so much about what to expect about labor and delivery and also about having a really little newborn. And she was also just like so solid in helping my wife through a very uh, intense experience and me through a very intense experience. Like she at one point just turned to me and was like, Ben, go to sleep because labor takes a long time. And she knew what labor looked like. So she knew I had an opportunity to catch four hours of sleep before anything else that I needed to be there for Mm -hmm. would happen. And as a result, I was like with it and ready to be actually helpful in the part where I needed to be. So I cannot recommend hiring a doula enough. And if you're in NYC and want a friend of DeSoto doula, doulabarge.com. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel like this is a decision like between doctor and doula, but uh, you can have both. Yeah. Why not have both? They are highly compatible and I have so much respect for the kind of expertise and, and care that doulas provide. Ben, our second priority one message is from Dan. It's to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. Help me, Ben and Adam. I can't get this thought out of my mind. What if Kern saw a Nirvana album cover after his memories were replaced and he became Kern Cobain? What is that smell? With the lights out, it's contagious you should masturbate frequently to prevent pearl jam i do not remember my spotify account (laughs) credentials adam 
Our final P1 is from Gus, who really tried to speed up the poker game because this was a terribly stupid idea, but I don't have another one. And Ben and Adam, who are still stuck in a temporal loop, hmm. goes like this. Seven dot no help there dot a pair of ladies F slash T doctor. We should just play the scene in this place. It's yeah. a great scene. It's a good scene, and, and uh, it seems like uh, just just a transcript of the scene. Yeah. Seven, no help there. Pair of ladies for the doctor. Dealer receives a nine. Doctor, may I remind you, since you show the highest hand, you control the next bet. Thank you, Data. I bet ten. Wharf. Jack, four, deuce, six. Twenty. You're twenty and fifty more. Fifty. I'm in. I will also see the bet. Seven and a possible straight for Commander Riker. Jack, still no help for the Klingon. Eight, nine for the dealer. Twenty. Too rich for my blood. You're twenty. One hundred more. Hold. Two hundred. You're two, and three hundred more. He does not have a straight. Where's the poker in Voyager? I guess that's happening in Kim's quarters. He was stating the obvious again. Hmm. Hmm. If you win at, you know, hold them or whatever, and it gives you an erection, do you call that a poker poker? Hmm. 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 Yeah, I think so. I guess. <laughs> guess it is. Well, if you guess that you would like to, you know, have a scene just play... <laughs> In unedited audio as a P1. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do it. Or if you are a doula outside of the NYC area because doulabarge.com has uh, already claimed that territory. If you've got a bit in your mind that you'd like us to explore the space with, with one of our beloved characters, it's uh, maximumfun.org slash jumbotron to set any of those types of things up. And we really appreciate it. Ben, if you're in in the delivery room and you left something football shaped out in the in the waiting area, mm. and maybe you can't get up to go retrieve it, but your doula does, would you say that your medulla oblong got it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right, I think so. Hey, Ben, what's that, Adam? Another question for you: Did you find yourself with drunk Shimoda? Shimoda. I did. I got a time code Shimoda here for you, Adam. You can see this at 42 minutes and 10 seconds into the episode. This is the establishing shot of the theater at the very end mm-hmm. when uh, the whole Voyager crew are gathering to enjoy a movie. And just in the foreground is Chell, and he's got his 3D glasses on already, and he is looking at his blue hands in the red-blue binary 3D glasses. And that is- This is is great. Such a funny bit that a blue man would be seeing 
like, I just imagine him like one eye, other eye, you know, camera A, camera B, both cameras looking at his hands. What fun. Do you think that's a choice the actor makes or was that a direction or a little bit of both? Whoever came up with it, and I choose to believe that this is the actor because I think that this actor appears to have a funny sense of humor about him. Whoever came up with it is a genius. And the fact that it's just on screen for a moment is like such a subtle, funny joke that I really loved. I didn't even notice it until I was just like scrubbing through the episode to remind myself of, a, of like a scene order thing. And that was where my, my playhead happened to be yeah. <laughs> at the beginning because like, you know, it remembers where, where you left off. And uh, <laughs> it's such a funny image. Good job by Star Trek coming up with that little thing. Cheers to Derek McGrath, the actor who really brought Shell to life Yeah, in a scene like that and so many others. You know, I had a Shimoda, but that is super compelling. I didn't notice that at the time that it happened. So yeah, I want to uh, daily double this Hell yeah. and make my Shimoda Shell. What a great bit of visual comedy there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Adam, it's been a little slice of heaven recording a very fun episode of The Greatest Generation with you. I love doing this with you, man. Yeah, man. I think that it's great, this thing we do. And uh, I want to do it again. What do you say? What do you say we come back and do episode 501? Okay. The next episode is season seven, episode five, Critical Care. The doctor is forced to work on an alien ship where patient's care is determined... By their social status instead of medical need? So so the doctor takes a time machine back to the year uh, 2023? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. He's serving a, a patient that looks very much like Denzel Washington, but mm. is named John Q. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Sounds fraught. Hopefully the doctor can both prescribe and provide. If he's working alone. <laughs> yeah. I am at the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, and uh, looking at a runabout that is pulsating on square 29. Looks like uh, we could hit that Delta Flyer ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we can hit, right? I think so. That's it. Okay. Well, Don't hit it. Well, just takes us up to a uh, measure of a man episode, which we always enjoy, right? That's tub free. No tub in a measure of a man. No tub in. No tub in. Although you can measure a man in a tub. Hmm. Yeah, don't need much of a ruler for that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. My goodness, I hit that Delta Flyer square. We are all the way up on square 87. What? Philippa Louvois' face obscured by the runabout. Incredible. It's a measure of a man episode next week, Adam. 501. Starting off strong in the next hundred. Philippa Louvois. It brings a sense of order and stability to my universe to know that you're still a pompous ass. Courtroom is a crucible, and if we burn away irrelevances until we're left with a fewer product, the truth. When people of good conscience have an honest dispute, we must still sometimes resort to this kind of adversarial system. And hopefully we can make some good law out here. 
and for good measure, sit on this. Can't believe it. <laughs> huh. About that. Wow. All right. Looking forward to it. I like our chances of uh, adjudicating this one. Yeah. In a sober and professional way. Hmm. Yeah, we're always those two things. Mm hmm. Well, uh, just like we did at the beginning, got to thank so many people for making this episode 500 possible. Starting with those who support the show financially at maximumfund.org/slash join. Look, the network is the place where the show lives, but we get most of the money when you go to maximumfund.org/slash join. That supports the show big time. Directly. Set up a monthly situation that helps us uh, make some plans for the months and the years ahead. Makes this thing feel a little less dangerous. It makes a, a huge difference for us. And um, yeah, that is the budget by which we make our plans. So mm -hmm. uh, big down year for advertising, but uh, the uh, Friends of DeSoto kept us afloat. And we really appreciate it. Hey, if you don't got it like that, review it. Everyone can review the show. Everyone should review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone can tell a friend. If you don't have a friend, tell someone else. Yeah. Also, you can make a friend on the internet. Hashtag greatest gen. Put it on your grandma's phone and just uh, download it to her phone, you know. FODs in all the places. Find them or they'll find you. <laughs> we got to thank Adam Ragusea who makes all the music for the show. Got to thank Dark Materia who made the original Picard song. Got to thank... Bill Tilly, the car daddy who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts all over the goddamn internet. How happy are we with, with Bill Tilly? Tremendously. He's a glue guy, is what you call a guy like that in, in the sports world. Guy that makes the team that much better. Makes the FODs better, wherever they are. Get something at podshop.biz. Lots of great stuff on there. Might be still time to get it in time for the holidays. That's your bag. Before the things sell out. Yeah. That happens. And uh, last and certainly not least, we got to thank Wendy Pretty, our editor, producer, office, admin. Spreadsheeter. Spreadsheetist extraordinaire. She kicks all the ass. Yeah, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that solves the healthcare crisis in America. Looking forward to that. Yeah. We're finally going to do it. Yeah. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.